0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fisk'em your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I'm your host, T. Greg Doucette, here in studio with Mike the Sound Guy, and we are broadcasting to you from the heart of downtown Durham, North Carolina. Uh, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there who listen to us. I appreciate you. Uh, as soon as Mike and I are done in the studio, I have to go call my mom and my, uh, my grandfather. My grandmother can't really talk anymore, but I need to go wish them a happy Mother's Day. Uh, yesterday was commencement at both of my alma maters, North Carolina State University and the North Carolina Central University School of Law. So congratulations to the class of 2018, I got to spend a little bit of time at Central's commencement. They let me speak each year uh, in my role as the president of the Alumni Association, so I get to give the uh, induction oath to the new graduates. So that's always fun. I get to dress up in the fancy regalia and uh, sit on stage and, and look important, even though I'm really not. So that was a fun experience. And uh, tomorrow is my girlfriend's birthday. So she turns 30. If any of you who listen happen to know her, wish her a happy birthday. Uh, this is so Friday started what is going to be a very hectic week for me uh, between commencement and Mother's Day and work and her birthday. And another friend's birthday and her birthday party, which is going to be next weekend, uh, there's a lot going on. So there are two pieces here. One, we don't have a Law 140 this week because there were just too many news stories. Uh, we've got about 35 ish stories to cover, and that's after leaving roughly two dozen still sitting on my phone app of stories. I will try to work them in during our next regular episode. Uh, but there's also not going to be a Law 140 next week either, because next week is going to be What the Fisk Volume 6. Uh, because, like I said, I got a friend's party on Friday for her birthday. Uh, And then I'm throwing a party for my girlfriend on Saturday, and then Sunday I've got to work because next Monday, like not tomorrow, but the week after, uh, I have a very early morning hearing in a county that's far, far away from where I am, so it's going to be a miserable experience. Uh, So I'm going to come in and record on either Thursday or Friday to get that done, so that way you guys have regular uh, content. So if you have questions for What the Fisk Volume 6, please tweet them at us using the hashtag Fisk, that is hashtag F-S-C-K. And uh, you can at tag both of us as well if you haven't already. That reminds me, join the conversation online. We are at Fiskamall. That is at F S C K E M A L L. If you don't like Twitter and you prefer Facebook, we do have a Fiskamall Facebook page. And you can also leave us a comment on our website. That is fiskamall dot com. F S C K E M A L L dot com. And if you would like to become one of our patrons, the people whose generous donations keep this show afloat, allow me to pay for the audio, the hosting, the website, and everything else, you can do that at patreon.com slash fisk. That is patreon.com slash uh, fsck. At some point in May, we are going to do a uh, another patron, Law140, on a tweet that I saw that was a link to a story. By a guy who just doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Like it was a news reporter and he found some law professors and asked them about uh, Trump stuff. And it's just totally fucked it up royally. Like it's beyond totally royally fucked. Uh, so I'm going to give y'all an explanation on how that all goes down. So if you're one of our patrons, you'll get that later in the month. I don't know when it's going to be because I got to get through this next week first, but it's coming. Uh, because of all of the criminal justice fuckery, we don't have much political news. Uh, of course, elections were last Tuesday. Uh, you have not. I've not talked to you since then. Um, we had some, a lot of interesting stuff. So in Durham... Our sheriff got demolished. He just got fucking mollywopped. We're going to talk more about him later on. Uh, Unfortunately, our incumbent district attorney, Roger Eccles, who y'all heard uh, me interview a few episodes back, he lost as well. Um, We had a sheriff out in Mecklenburg County who got trounced. He's one of the guys that's super buddy-buddy with ICE. We had a half dozen incumbent legislators, both Republicans and Democrats, lose. Uh, One of them was Justin Burr, who's been spending most of his time in office fucking around with the judicial system and making it worse as he goes. And then he'll fuck something up. They'll realize it's fucked up and they'll try and fix it. In the process, they just fuck it up even more. Uh, So he lost election. He lost his primary. So he's still in office until January. No telling what the General Assembly is going to do with that. Uh, But I want to focus on three particular political stories very briefly First is another one of those incumbent losses. Senator Joel Ford out of Charlotte got utterly destroyed by Mastabu Muhammad, who's a classmate of mine. He is North Carolina Central University School of Law, class of 2013, uh, and he won. Ford, you'll remember, I've, I've ranted about him on Twitter before. He was one of the biggest cheerleaders of House Bill 972, that is the bill That both Republicans and Democrats joined up to pass that made all police video uh, a state secret. You now cannot get any police video in North Carolina without going through a ridiculously cumbersome process that includes a very high standard for judges to authorize release of the video. And it's no surprise you haven't seen as much video from police coming out this past year since it's been enacted. You mostly see cell phone footage instead. Uh, so Ford's an asshole. He was one of the big cheaters of House Bill too, as well our bathroom bill that you know we created the potty patrol, uh, a bunch of other dumb shit, and he ran for mayor and lost. So this is technically his second loss in the span of you know five months. Uh, I think he needs to legally change his name to Joel Ford with two L's on the end. So he's done. Um, I do also want to rant ever so briefly. About Yankees, if I can. Uh, so, there are a lot of folks in the South that have a I'm trying to think of the word here an obsession, if you will, with people who aren't from around here telling us how to live. And I've never particularly felt that because, frankly, I don't give a fuck what other people think in terms of how I should live my life. Like, I'll hear you out, I'll listen to what you got to say. But if you have no clue what it's like here on the ground, I discount your thoughts extremely. Uh, So I've never, like, had that feeling. But when the election results came out, my Twitter timeline was just flooded with with beyond stupid takes about the sheriff and DA race in Durham from people who aren't from here and don't know how North Carolina works. And one of them, I'm going to single him out. It's Rob Smith, and he's with the Fair Punishment Project from Harvard. And he has a tweet, and I'll link the tweet to you in the show notes. Uh, but it, the tweet says, and I'm quoting here incredible in all caps. In Durham, North Carolina, Satana DeBerry ousts incumbent district attorney Roger Eccles. Why does it matter in all caps? Check out a few of her policy promises. And he attaches this screenshot from some questionnaire that she filled out. And it, it's just. It's so fucking stupid. It's, a, it's obvious. Dude does not do criminal defense work in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, it says, will you establish an office policy against increasing or threatening to increase the number or severity of charges in order to secure more favorable plea dispositions or waivers of rights? And she checked yes. Well, guess what? We already have that in Durham. Durham does not do that. Will you publicly oppose any proposed legislation that would create new mandatory minimum sentences or lengthen existing minimum sentences and support legislation aiming to eliminate such sentences? We already do that in Durham. Roger works very closely with one of our representatives, Marsha Morey, who's a former judge. She was the chief district court judge for years. He's worked with Floyd McKissick, one of our senators, who's been huge on trying to push reforms to the justice system. North Carolina's new uh, expungement law that just went into effect back in 2017, that was a McKissick thing that folks from the both prosecution and defense bars in Durham were pushing to help get done. But the kicker, the part that just astonishes me that this was asked and that it was answered and that Rob Smith from Harvard thinks that it's important. Will you support second chances, even for those who commit serious offenses, by both limiting parole opposition to those cases in which there is a demonstrable and serious risk of future violence and committing to affirmatively advocate for parole on behalf of those who demonstrate growth and maturity during their incarceration? She clicked yes. Here's why that matters. We don't have parole in North Carolina. We haven't had parole since 1994. Parole was abolished as part of us switching over to structured sentencing. Parole does not exist. We do not have parole hearings that the DA can oppose. They're just not there. It was a stupid question to ask, asked by someone who obviously doesn't understand North Carolina law. It was a stupid question to answer by someone who evidently was pandering to a given group rather than understanding North Carolina law. And it's mind-blowingly idiotic for Rob Smith of Harvard's Fair Punishment Project to tout it like it's a big deal when all he has to do is check Google and we'll see that we don't have parole in North Carolina. Uh, so the third political thing, John Kelly is an asshole. I've been telling you all for over a year now that John Kelly's an asshole. He's been an asshole since before he came chief of staff. He's still an asshole as chief of staff. Uh, here's an excerpt. I tried to find audio for this and I couldn't. This is an interview with NPR where they're talking about Mother's Day. And are you really supporting Mother's Day when you're deporting mothers and separating them from their kids? And John Kelly basically just said, eh, fuck it. Here's a quote from the story. Quote, the White House chief of staff, John Kelly, defended the Trump administration's zero tolerance policy toward immigrants who crossed the border illegally, telling NPR that separating parents from their children could be a, subquote, tough deterrent. The new policy has garnered backlash from critics who say that criminally prosecuting 100% of illegal border crossing cases, as the Trump administration has vowed to do, will require children to be taken away from their detained parents. When he was asked by NPR about those who say it's cruel and heartless to take a mother away from her children, Kelly brushed off the question. Subquote, I wouldn't put it quite that way. Kelly said, the children will be taken care of, put into foster care or whatever. John Kelly, fuck you. If any of you happen to live in D.C. and know someone working in the Trump White House who can get this excerpt of the podcast in front of John Kelly and have him actually listen to it, fuck you, sir. Go fuck yourself. This is the the guy's just an asshole. He's an absolute asshole. And it's a proof that military service does not mean you're a good person. For some people, they're good people. They go into the military. For some people, the military helps them become a good person. But they're also just plain old scumbags who happen to make a career as military officers. And John Kelly happens to be one of those. He's terrible. Uh, so in state-by-state criminal justice news – whoop, I skipped one. Let me go back. In general research criminal justice fuckery, Bloomberg has an in-depth read on Palantir, which is this poly- predictive policing software uh, mentioned in a prior podcast that Louisiana is using it as part of their secret predictive policing system. They've gone deep in it. And how it basically started out as this great data mining operation uh, and turned into a bunch of mess. And I'm going to read you an extended excerpt from it because the language is super colorful and it amuses me. Uh, From the story in Bloomberg, it says, quote, high above the Hudson River in downtown Jersey City, a former U.S. Secret Service agent named Peter Kovicchia III ran special ops for J.P. Morgan Chase and Company. His insider threat group, most large financial institutions have one, used computer algorithms to monitor the bank's employees, ostensibly to protect against perfidious traders and other miscreants. Aided by as many as 120 Ford deployed engineers from the data mining company Palantir Technologies Incorporated, which J.P. Morgan engaged in 2009, Kavichia's group vacuumed up emails and browser histories, GPS locations from company-issued smartphones, printer and download activity, and transcripts of digitally recorded phone conversations. Palantir's software aggregated, searched, sorted, and analyzed these records, surfacing keywords and patterns of behavior that Kavichia's team had flagged for potential abuse of corporate assets. Palantir's algorithm, for example, alerted the insider threat team when an employee started badging into work later than usual, a sign of potential disgruntlement. That would trigger further scrutiny and possibly physical surveillance after hours by bank security personnel. Over time, however, Kavichia himself went rogue. Former J.P. Morgan colleagues described the environment as Wall Street meets Apocalypse Now, with Kavichia as Colonel Kurtz ensconced upriver in his office suite eight floors above the rest of the bank's security team. People in the department were shocked that no one from the bank or Palantir set any real limits. They darkly joked that Kovicchia was listening to their calls, reading their emails, watching them come and go. Some planted fake information in their communications to see if Kovicchia would mention it at meetings, which he did. It all ended when the bank's senior executives learned that they too were being watched. And what began as a promising marriage of masters of big data and global finance descended into a spying scandal. The misadventure, which has never been reported until now, also marked an ominous turn for Palantir, one of the most richly valued startups in Silicon Valley. An intelligence platform designed for the global war on terror was weaponized against ordinary Americans at home. The story is crazy. It goes that Those are just the opening four paragraphs, and it goes on and on from there. It's nuts. Palantir is bad news for any jurisdiction that uses it. You're in trouble. I'm going to put you in that now. If you happen to live in one of those jurisdictions, you should move as soon as heavenly possible. All right, now let's get into the state-by-state criminal justice fuckery. Uh, Out in Arizona, the federal jury that is considering the case of Lonnie Swartz, he's the guy that we mentioned back in episode 11 that shot a Mexican teenager in the back to death. Uh, He was charged with murder. And the jury acquitted him. He has been acquitted. So now the United States Attorney's Office is going to retry him instead for manslaughter. His trial is scheduled to start October 23rd. I'll give you a link to that story in the show notes. So let me pause. I normally like to read all the quotes. And I'm going to do that probably for most of these still. But because we have so many pages of stories, uh, I'm going to try and do some more summarizing as opposed to quoting because I just don't know that I'm going to get through all of this in an hour and a half if I read the quotes verbatim. Uh, Speaking of Palantir, over in California, in Los Angeles, the LAPD is using Palantir to create an evergreen list of, quote, probable offenders. This one I'm going to give you the quote on. From the story, it says, quote, Los Angeles Police Department analysts are each tasked with maintaining a minimum of a dozen ongoing surveillance targets for future targeting using Palantir software and an updated probable offender formula, according to October 2017 documents obtained through a public records request lawsuit by the Stop LAPD Spying Coalition. These surveillance reports identify, subquote, probable offenders in select neighborhoods based on an LAPD point-based predictive policing formula. Analysts find information for their reports using Palantir software, which culls data from police records, including field interview cards and arrest reports. According to an updated LAPD checklist formula, which uses broader criteria than the past risk formula the department was known to have used, these reports, known as chronic offender bulletins, do predate Palantir's involvement with the LAPD, but since the LAPD began using the company's data mining software in September of 2011, the department claims that bulletins that would have taken an hour to compile now take about five minutes apiece. Los Angeles police argue that targeting chronic offenders in this manner helps lower crime rates while being minimally invasive. But the Stop LAPD Spying Coalition, a community-based alliance that has advocated against LAPD surveillance efforts since 2012, paints a different picture of the Chronic Offender Bulletin Program. The group calls it a racist feedback loop in which police surveil a set number of people based on data that's generated by their own racially biased policing, creating more monitoring and thereby more arrests guess what? They're absolutely right. We've linked studies in the past where this is exactly what happens with the predictive policing model. Police focus on a given neighborhood, for example, which often tends to be poorer neighborhoods, which often tend to be people of color. Those would be the only ones they talk about, even though actual incidence of crime is indistinguishable from more well-to-do neighborhoods with more white people. But because those black folks are now in the system. When you use the heat map algorithm to come up with something new, surprise, garbage data in produces garbage data out. You get these predictive models where they need to go back into these poor communities. Uh, It's absurd. So if you live in Los Angeles, have fun if you happen to interact with the LAPD. Uh, In Morgan Hill, California, the first rule of Fisk, police will continue to do dumb shit even when they are being recorded. A police officer was on body cam, basically shooting a girl in the face accidentally because he's an idiot and doesn't know how to do proper trigger control. Uh, From the story, it says, quote, A bullet fragment struck a 14-year-old girl in the face when a police officer accidentally, and I'm putting that in sub quotes, fired his gun after a car chase involving a van she was riding in Sunday, Morgan Hill Police said. Uh, The girl who suffered the injury near her eye was taken to an area hospital where the fragment was removed. She and another girl had exited the van and were complying with the officer's orders when the gunfire occurred. You go on to read the story. Basically, these two girls were passengers in a car or a van rather that was pulled over and then sped away. So when the van stopped, they got out and this officer had his gun out and I guess shot it at the ground and it ricocheted and hit one of them in the face. So we'll give you a link to that story, out of Colorado. So we have several stories this week uh, that I've, that led to the title for the podcast, Policing White Space. There was like a half dozen of them that were actually from this week, and then were, there were two from last week that I didn't get a chance to include as part of our regular um, broadcast. So this is one of the older ones uh, from two weeks ago. Where a pair of Native American students went to Colorado State University, drove up from New Mexico for a college tour, uh, and had the police summoned upon them because they were uh, out of place. From that story, it says, quote, The call came from the mother of a prospective student on a tour of Colorado State University. She called 911 for the campus police and reported that she was concerned about, subquote, two young men that joined our tour who weren't part of the tour. She said that the young men subquote, really stand out. She said that they didn't answer questions about their names or intended fields of study. Their clothing, she said, had, subquote, weird symbolism. The story goes on from there. gist of it is the two kids are shy. I mean, I wouldn't want to answer questions if a parent was asking me about something. Uh, they joined the tour late, which is also super common. And their weird symbolism? Well, the body cam video got released, and they're just both wearing heavy metal t-shirts. Their logos for bands. It's, it's utterly ridiculous. So that's out of Colorado. So we're going to call that policing white space at a non Ivy League college, because in Connecticut, we have policing white space at an Ivy League college where a Yale student had the police called on her because she was in the student lounge working on papers and accidentally fell asleep. And one of the white students was outraged from that story. It says, quote, a black graduate student at Yale who fell asleep in her dorm's common room said she had a disturbing awakening this week when a white student flipped on the lights, told her she had no right to sleep there and called the campus police. It was the latest in a string of recent episodes across the country in which the police have been summoned to respond to minor complaints involving people of color. And we've got a lot more coming in this podcast, by the way. Uh, The graduate student Laletti Siambola posted a 17-minute recording of her encounter with police officers who responded to the call. Miss Siambola, who was earning her master's degree, said that she had camped out in the common room to work on a marathon of papers. On Monday night, she decided to take a nap around 1.30. She said someone came in and turned on the lights, asking, Is there someone in here? Is there someone sleeping in here? You're not supposed to be here. The woman, who also lives in the dorm, reported an unauthorized person in the common room. Basically, the the school actually backed up this police incident report. Basically, they're going with the whole uh, if you see something, say something motif, which is beyond stupid. Um, But as someone who occasionally pulled all-nighters in undergrad, part of why I picked the residence hall to live in that I did is because we had a very nice student lounge Uh, that had nice couches and a patio that I could walk out onto and enjoy some of the weather when I needed a breath of fresh air. Uh, And yes, I occasionally slept in there because when you're working in the zone, you don't pack everything up and go back to your room. That's just stupid. Uh, So that's out of Connecticut at Yale. In the District of Columbia, a former D.C. police officer who had pled guilty to illegal gun sales. uh, Well, it turns out he sold a gun to a guy who killed himself and sold a gun to a murderer as well. From that story, it says, quote, As a Washington, D.C. police officer, Richard Wentz knew firsthand about the dangers of black market gun sales and the inherent risk of weapons ending up in the wrong hands. But that didn't stop him from illegally dealing firearms while off duty. Prosecutors say he supplied weapons to people who couldn't buy them legally, including a troubled former Marine reservist deemed mentally incompetent. Went sold the 29-year-old former Marine an AK-47 that the Marine used to kill himself about two weeks later, according to court documents reviewed by CNN. Another weapon Wentz sold was used in a murder. The documents state authorities declined to provide details about the slaying. Wince 51, pleaded guilty to dealing firearms without a license earlier this year. He is scheduled to be sentenced in federal court this coming Wednesday in Richmond, Virginia. In Georgia, out of Cook County, deputies there have... <laughs> God, this is so stupid. Uh, deputies have arrested a college graduate who had just finished her master's degree for the heinous crime of trying to drive home using a Canadian license, which is not actually a crime. Uh, Basically, this woman got pulled over for speeding, 87 in a 70, and when they tried to – she showed them her Canadian license, the officer said, quote, no, Canadian licenses are not accepted, Uh, even though sidebar they are. A government-issued ID is valid, and what happens is police will check your passport to confirm that it is in fact allowed. Um, but yes, you can drive on a Canadian license in America just like I can go drive in uh, you know Canada with my North Carolina license. Uh, So they ended up arresting her, took her mugshot, fingerprinted her, charged her with speeding and driving without a license. Uh, She ended up paying $880 to bond out and then an additional $200 to get her car from the impound. Uh, And then three days after she was arrested, the district attorney said, you know what, you've got a point. We were not supposed to charge you. Case dismissed. Uh, So they're going to erase her record so that she doesn't sue, but she still doesn't get that thousand dollars back for the arrest. It's just so stupid. Uh, So that's out of Georgia, Georgia being Georgia, uh, out of Illinois, Illinois, In Chicago, we have policing white space at the mall where the vice president of a shopping mall has apologized to black teens who were kicked out for no reason. From that story, it says, quote, when Linda Jennings read the description of the young African-American teens that were wrongfully kicked out of Water Tower Place on March 3rd, she immediately recognized them. I was flipping through the paper and read what Dr. Hightower had to say about how the boys acted. My intuition said that has to be my grandson and his friends, Jennings told me. Uh, On Saturday afternoon, officials at Watertower Place personally apologized to the teens for wrongfully kicking them out of the trendy mall. Kevin Barry, Executive Vice President of Human Resources and Communications for General Growth Properties, GGP, uh, appeared on Episode 9 of the Zebra Sisters podcast vowing to publicly apologize if the teens could be located, which they were. Uh, He said, quote, I'm here on behalf of the company to say we are very sorry for what happened. We want you to come back. Please forgive us. The meeting took place adjacent to the Water Tower Place power plant on a basketball court where Michael Jordan used to play privately. Basically, a bunch of kids were walking around the mall. The deputies or security staff there said, you know what, you're black, which means you're loitering, so be gone, don't come back. Uh, Out of Macon County, Illinois, a canine trainer, Chad Larner, he is with the Macon County uh, Police, says that you can't legalize weed, because if you legalize weed, they're going to have to kill all of their dogs. Uh, From that story, out of reason... He's actually quoted and uh, Larner says, quote, the biggest thing for law enforcement is you're going to have to replace all of your dogs. So to me, it's a giant step forward for drug dealers and it's a giant step backwards for law enforcement and the residents of the community. Replacing all of the canine units in the state would cost millions. And because many canines are trained not to be social so that their work won't be affected, a number of dogs would likely have to be euthanized. This is so stupid. One, it's false, because after police dogs are done and they retire, they don't just kill them. Most of the time, they get adopted by their handlers. But number two, I love dogs. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to let the existence or nonexistence of a dog determine whether or not we treat people like dogs by locking them up in kennels for petty-ass crimes like marijuana possession. Uh, So that's out of Illinois. In Louisiana, the floor-to-ceiling clusterfuck of criminal justice. We have in New Orleans a case where Kevin Smith was arrested back in 2010 for possession of cocaine. He stayed in prison for seven and a half years without ever being tried. Stayed in prison for so long that the Court of Appeals ultimately threw out the charges because it violated his speedy trial rights. Well, once that was done, apparently he had been on parole for some kind of drug possession previously in the early 90s. The DA took the case to the parole board and presented the same evidence that they never presented at trial on the cocaine case. presented it to the parole board and said, you should use this to revoke his parole. And this, of course, runs afoul of all sorts of things. So instead, the parole board scoured his case with a fine tooth comb and found that at some point during the seven years he was in prison and a couple years prior, he had failed to update his address with his parole officer. So he's now back in jail and is going to stay there until 2022. So Louisiana, they will lock you up for seven years without trial. And when you're done, they will find a way to keep you behind bars. Out of Shreveport, we have the first rule of Fisk. Police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. A Shreveport police officer is on paid leave. uh, at paid vacation, by the way. After he was caught on camera. Uh, Basically, I'm going to give you some audio of this. So I want you to know, I'm going to give you the audio, and as you're hearing it, there's a black youth on the porch with his hands palmed down on the top of his thighs. Occasionally he gestures them outwards to the side, like, you know, when someone says, what did I do? That type of thing. And you have the officer standing to his right. You have a black female older woman to the left. I don't know if that's his mom or his grandma or a neighbor. I don't know. This would seem to be tied into a noise complaint. Uh, but nowhere in the video recorded on a cell phone by a guy standing behind the teen uh, does the teen ever touch the officer. Never touches him, never raises his hand like he's gonna touch him or anything else. And listen to how this particular officer acts. You put your hands on him for no reason. You're damn right, I'll put my hands on you any fucking time I want to. And you fucking you hey, fucking hey, swing hey, on me, motherfucker. I, you grab me. You fucking swing you grab, on me, motherfucker, hey, I'll whip cor- your fucking me, record ass. Me, record me. Record it. Record it, man. Record me whooping his ass. You've been asking for no reason. What is all this on? Don't you throw your hand don't up. What is all this for? Do not I throw your hands, hands up at me again. Did I throw my arm keep up your hands up? Keep did my hands up. Hands no, out. you're telling me for no reason. I ain't doing nothing. All you had to do was turn that music down when I asked you to. I didn't That's do anything. All. I know my rights. Get off right. this fucking porch right, I right. now. I'm If you was don't that. get up, I'm going to make you get up. get up. I know my rights, man. I didn't Fuck do nothing man. Get Yo, I'm getting up. I ain't touching you. Don't shoot him. That's okay. Let him run. Don't shoot him. Be scared. Yeah, I'd fucking be scared, too, if I had some steroid-addled motherfucker with a badge and a gun yelling at me like that on my own damn porch. Now, I don't know who the hell called on the noise violation, but I'm going to tell you. If it it was a neighbor, it was stupid, but I can understand. But if it was a parent, calling the police to discipline your kids is fucking dumb because they're just as likely to get shot or arrested as anything else. Uh, So that guy's been put on paid vacation. The police chief said, quote, The behavior that I witnessed on the clip of the video that was seen definitely is not something that we train our officers to do, and it led me to instruct an inquiry to investigate the matter in full so that we can get a full picture of what is going on so that the proper decisions can be made relative to the entire issue. It's a bunch of fucking gibberish CYA uh, because it's exactly what police do. It's what they're trained to do. They're trained to control a situation, and if anyone bucks their authority, they get addressed with force. That's just how it works. Uh, So that's in Louisiana, out of Maryland in Carroll County. A deputy is on cell phone video blowing away a groundhog because the groundhog was blocking traffic. Uh, From that story, it says, quote, a Carroll County sheriff's deputy shot a groundhog that was holding up traffic Monday morning. The sheriff's office said the deputy was traveling on Route 26 near White Rock Road where traffic was stopped because of a groundhog in the road. Video of the incident posted on Facebook shows traffic stopped in both directions. The sheriff's office said the deputy tried to guide the groundhog off the road. The groundhog then went toward the deputy who shot the animal. He feared for his life. Uh, Groundhog shouldn't have reached for his waistband, otherwise he'd still be alive. In Massachusetts, out of Peabody, or Peabody, however the hell you pronounce it, a state trooper was arrested for drunk driving uh, after leaving a police party. From that story, it says, quote, Massachusetts state trooper was arrested Saturday for allegedly driving under the influence, and he may have his charges dropped under a diversion program for military veterans. Trooper Alfred G. Burgos was scheduled for arraignment on Tuesday afternoon. The veteran trooper was stopped by another state trooper and arrested on suspicion of drunken driving in Linfield around 1140 p.m. on Saturday. Boston 25 News reported that Burgos was arrested while driving from the Irish-American Police Officers Association's annual awards dinner, where he was given a Medal of Valor for his actions in a 2016 shootout with armed suspects. Now, aside from the DWI stuff, you notice no one bitches about the fact there's a police association for Irish-Americans. They only bitch when there's something involving minorities. Uh, so that's out of Massachusetts in Missouri, in Brentwood. We have policing white space at... Not shopping malls, but, you know, minor shopping stores off to the side. What would you call those? Strip malls? what, what is it a strip mall if it's only one store? Well, I don't know. I, maybe it's a strip mall. So we'll call it policing white space at strip malls. Uh, from that story, it says, quote, An incident at the Brentwood Square Nordstrom Rack is catching national attention after three young black men were falsely accused of theft. The president of Nordstrom Rack, Givy Thomas, flew to St. Louis himself to make an apology to the teens and their families in person. Mackay, Lee, Darone, Taylor, and Eric Rogers II were all shopping for prom clothes at Nordstrom Rack when they started noticing several of the employees washing them and following them around the store. Subquote, I was nervous the whole time, said Lee. Every time we move, they move. When we looked up, they looked up. After all three left the store after making their purchases, they were surrounded by Brentwood police in the parking lot. Police told them the store had accused them of theft. After an investigation on the spot, police let the three go without charges. So that's in Missouri out of New York in Galway. The entire police force of Galway has been indicted for falsifying documents. From that story, it says, quote, The village's part-time police department faces an uncertain future following the felony arrest of Chief Leslie Klein and three officers. Charges were brought by the state attorney general's office following a lengthy investigation, alleging that Klein, Sergeants Mark LaViolette, David Goodwin, and Officer Mark Kirker falsified documents claiming officers had completed required training when they had not. The three-member village board, which met Tuesday night, took no formal action, but the police department is inactive and might stay so for an undetermined time. No police were on duty Wednesday, and Klein could not be reached for comment. So basically they're having to rely on the neighborhood, uh, the county sheriffs, to provide police stuff because they only had four officers, and all four officers got indicted for falsifying things. Uh, Out of New York City, we have policing white space in apartment buildings. Darren Martin moved to New York City this winter after years working for the Obama White House in Washington to take a job as an aide in the city's government. After a couple months crashing with friends and family, he finally found his own place on the Upper West Side. The studio on 106th Street fit the bill of what Martin was looking for. It was a decent deal in a good neighborhood, just a couple blocks from Central Park. But about a half hour into his move, police greeted him in the building's lobby. A neighbor had called to report a potential break-in by someone who may have had a weapon. And about a half dozen police officers stopped and questioned him as part of the investigation. The New York City Police Department said officers arrived after receiving a 911 call about a burglary in progress on the building's fifth floor. The 911 caller had complained about someone opening and banging doors on the floor who was in possession of a weapon or a large tool. After investigating, officers determined there was no burglary. No shit. Out of North Carolina, we've got a uh, one, two, three, four, five. God, we got five stories here. This is crazy. Uh, so two of them are in Durham. We have policing white spaces at coffee shops. Uh, This time it's at Duke University where a vice president did one of the most Duke University things you can possibly do. Uh, They have what's called a Joe Van Gogh, which is kind of like a knockoff Starbucks on campus. That actually serves decent coffee. They've got several of them around the triangle. And the baristas were playing a Spotify playlist that included, at the time this particular vice president walked in, Uh, Get Paid by rapper Young Dolph. And I have a snippet for you. It's on my iTunes playlist, so I'm going to play a snippet. Here you go. Now, some of the lyrics are explicit, but that seems like a very Duke thing. Rule number one, get the money first. Rule number two, don't forget to get the money. It's exactly what they do with their students. Uh, But basically, the vice president, Larry Manetta, went in to get, and this is a quote from the story, uh, a hot tea and a vegan muffin uh, and heard that this song was on. So he told the staff, hey, this is inappropriate. You've got to cut it off immediately. The person who was there was apologizing profusely, tried to give him his food for free, immediately changed the station. But none of that mattered. Manetta then went back to his office and contacted the person in charge with dining the person in charge of dining then contacted the guy who ran the Joe Van Gogh and the person who was the manager and the other barista on staff were both called into human resources the following Monday and fired. So for having that song played when this VP walked in, they were both fired. Now, since then, uh, the guy who runs Joe Van Gogh has said that he's going to close down the campus branch because he doesn't like being controlled by the university. A bunch of students were protesting outside of Mineta's office playing Young Dolph lyrics. And Young Dolph himself flew both of the baristas down to his concert and gave them both $20,000 apiece. So that was pretty cool on his part. Now, of all the local universities where you would expect a controversy like that to happen, of course it's going to be at Duke uh, because 80%-ish of their student body is white or Asian, as is 80% of the faculty. Uh, So between Duke, Carolina, Central, State... That's yeah, where you would expect that to happen. So this is just a, an entertaining controversy, to say the least. Uh, while we're in Durham as well, we have more sheriff shenanigans from Mike Andrews. Now, as I mentioned, he got totally uh, demolished on Election Day. He lost by 69 to 31% margin. So I don't want to beat up on him too badly. Uh, but Monday night into Election Day last week, someone posted on Facebook, quote, Durham County, you better not, all caps, apathetically sit home on your tails tomorrow as city block voters, immigrants, and minorities will flock to the polls. Then the special interests will vote out the old, and man, you won't like the ethnic takeover new. Uh, except you put ethic takeover as opposed to ethnic takeover. I found out city block voters apparently is a phrase used by Jesse Helms to describe blacks back when he was running for office decades ago. Uh, so, of course, this is just typical... Ranting from a random Facebook racist, but the Facebook page, entitled "Reelect Sheriff Mike Andrews for Durham County Sheriff, run by the sheriff, uh, decided to post a response. Amen, Bobby! Exclamation point. Uh, to which the man responded, good luck. Now, Andrews then promptly rushed out a statement to the local media saying that he didn't do this. He doesn't believe in any of this. It was one of his staff Uh, But that's one of those, you know, I'm not sure that's a a defense because the guy's in charge of hiring deputies and he's basically admitted that he doesn't vet his staff very carefully. So that guy's gone. Good riddance. Or will be gone in January. Uh, Out of Moore County, we have more sheriff shenanigans. So this one is sufficiently convoluted that I'm not going to read you the quotes because it would take me forever to get to the point. But so far as I can tell... Neil Godfrey is the sheriff of Moore County, worked for the State Bureau of Investigations for 30 years before he became the sheriff. Back in May of 2016, he announced that he was going to retire, but then a couple weeks later changed his mind, and no one really knew why. Well, his son pleaded guilty to driving drunk while responding to a call at Moore Regional Hospital. Uh, Son's a deputy working for him. Had to turn in his law enforcement certificate Well, now phone records show that there were calls back and forth between the deputy's son and the sheriff's dad uh, and shows, according to the GPS logs from Verizon, that the sheriff actually showed up on site at the hospital, even though the sheriff claims that he was never there. So all this all came out during the Republican primary last week uh, to the point that the sheriff released a very lengthy, detailed explanation of everything he did that night. Uh, But then on top of that... It led to the firing of one of the deputies who lied as part of the State Bureau of Investigation into it. So that's a separate story from that one. It says, quote, a Moore County Sheriff's deputy accused of being untruthful during a state investigation into the sheriff's office two years ago was fired on Thursday. Now, that's the Thursday before Election Day, mind you. District Attorney Maureen Kruger informed Godfrey in an April 23rd letter that she would no longer be able to use this particular officer as a witness in criminal court cases because of alleged instances of untruthfulness during the SBI investigation relating to an incident involving Godfrey's son, Brent a former sheriff's deputy, back in February 2016. The matter was thrust into a contentious Republican primary between Godfrey and Ronnie Fields when Kruger's letter became public two weeks before the election. Godfrey reiterated Friday that Kruger did not share information with him two years ago about the SBI investigation or the matter related to this officer, referred to as a Jiglio violation. That's a reference to the particular uh, state case where basically if an officer can't be used as a witness, that information has to be disclosed to the defense. Uh, Godfrey's former chief deputy, Jarrell Sewell, disputed Godfrey's claim, telling the pilot that he was in a meeting with Godfrey and Kruger two years ago when it was discussed. Kruger said she reviewed NC State Bureau of Investigation files regarding allegations of failure to perform official duties and obstruction of justice relating to the investigation of Brent Godfrey. Unfortunately, the review revealed that this officer was untruthful during the investigation concerning his observations or interactions with Deputy Godfrey. Kruger wrote, I am disheartened to inform you that this ethical breach means that Moore County District Attorney's Office will no longer be able to use him as a witness for the state of North Carolina in any criminal case. The officer was never charged with any criminal offense. A copy of the SBI report has not been made public. Uh, Separate from all of that, a different Moore County Sheriff's Deputy has been fired and charged with assault on a female. From that story, it says, quote, a former Moore County deputy was arrested Thursday in connection with an assault. According to the Moore County Sheriff's Office, authorities said deputies responded to a home off Mount Carmel Road in Carthage and charged Tevin Martinez Cadell with assault on a female. Cadell was being held at an undisclosed detention facility in another county. Uh, And then we have a story in Warsaw, which I would call policing white space at low-end restaurants, because you're going to find we have another one at... High-end restaurants later on. So this one's at a Waffle House. From that one, it says quote, a video posted to social media shows a Fayetteville man in his prom attire. He's in a tux, uh, being choked out by a police officer and slammed onto a Waffle House parking lot in North Carolina. Warsaw Police Chief Eric Sutherland told the News and Observer of Raleigh that his department and the District Attorney's Office are investigating, and more information will be released. It wasn't immediately clear what might have prompted the officer's use of force. One video posted to Facebook on May 8th shows the white officer slamming the black teenager against a window, then turning him around and gripping the teen's neck. The officer then pins him to the pavement with his left hand on the teen's head as other young people stand around them recording the scene. Now, social media has confirmed the deputy in this case is Frank Moss, even though he's not identified in the news story. Uh, The teen was actually 22. He wasn't a teen, but he had taken his sister to the prom. They had gone to the Waffle House. Apparently, there was some kind of shouting match between them and Waffle House staff. That's when the police were called, and the police officer was not satisfied that this kid was sufficiently compliant, so he just decided to beat the shit out of him for sport. Uh, It's out of North Carolina in Pennsylvania. In Dover Township, uh, we have policing white space at the golf course. The white owners of the Grandview Golf Club called police on five black women for golfing too slow. And I'm going to, when you get to how slow they were going, this is so fucking ridiculous, uh, from the story. and, And when I say ridiculous, I don't mean the golfers from the story. It says, quote, what started out as a relaxing day at a Pennsylvania golf course turned into an ugly confrontation between the white men who run the club and five black women who were playing there on Saturday in a largely white suburban community in Dover township, York County, the women began playing at Grandview golf club before being told that they were moving too slowly. The day started out with a slight hiccup. Frost on the course had delayed their tee time by an hour, so they weren't able to start playing until 11 a.m., though a foursome is the norm the club had permitted the group of five. Then, as they teed off on the second hole, they only made it to round two. They were approached by a former county commissioner who serves in an advisory role for the golf course. He asked them twice to leave. And threatened to cancel their memberships over their pace of play because, at the second hole, they apparently had golfed too slowly at the first hole. Look, I, I don't golf well, okay? So I don't go often. But if someone's going slow, you can let other people go past them. You don't have to call the police on these folks. Uh, but ended up being the person they called the police on. Ended up being a lawyer and the president of the York chapter of the NAACP. Uh, so this is just stupid. Uh, out of Philadelphia. The men who had been arrested and at Starbucks, we talked about a couple episodes ago, have now settled with the city for being uh, basically false arrest, if you will. From that story, uh, let's see, I'm not going to bother with the clothes, but essentially they settled for $1 apiece as like symbolic damages. And they're going to have the city pay two hundred thousand dollars into a program for young entrepreneurs in high school, so cool stuff there. Oh, and in addition to it, the arrest is going to be expunged as part of their uh, part of the situation. So they were never charged; they were detained for hours, and then charges were never filed. So the arrest is still there, though. So the arrest is going to be expunged. That's in Pennsylvania. Out of Texas, we have policing white space at school. Uh, From that story, it says, quote, A spring independent school district principal is learning the consequences of her words. Word quickly spread on social media about a joke, and I'm putting that in air quotes, Ponderosa elementary school principal Shanna Swearingen made on April 17th about one of her students in front of several staff members. The young boy is black. He is in special education classes, and he has behavioral problems. He is known to run from class. And Swearing Jen is overheard saying, I don't chase him. I'll just call the police and tell him he has a gun so they can come faster. Now, the funny part is you go through the rest of that story, and everyone is trying to defend the teacher about how she would never say that. That can't be right. And, oh, my gosh, that's just not her character. And then later on, she apologizes and admits that, yes, she actually said that. She didn't realize it was going to be offensive. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Out of Plano... We have policing white space at the high-end restaurants. I told you this was coming. Uh, a black couple was removed from their table so the restaurant could give the seat to a white guy at the Sambuca 360. They had actually been given their menus they were about to order. When the manager said, nope, you got to give up to give it to a white regular. Uh, then when the guy's like, no, I want to stay here with my wife and have dinner, the manager then told them to leave the entire restaurant he asks, and this is all on video, by the way. He asks, why am I leaving? And the manager responds, because I don't like you. What did I do wrong? Asks the customer. I tell you to leave right now or I will call the police. What you are doing is trespassing. And then the manager called the police. Now, it turns out this particular guy uh, is a widely known author and motivational speaker. So the video got posted to social media and people knew about it. Uh, But I would avoid Sambuca 360 in Plano if you happen to be a person of color. Uh, Out of San Antonio, a federal judge has thrown out evidence against an alleged drug dealer because he concluded that the police lied repeatedly throughout the case. So this is a case involving, it's the state of Texas versus a Devante Fennel, And you got to kind of keep the facts together. So he's got at least three different stops that the officer talks about. Basically, the police were stalking this guy. Uh, At the first stop, the police see him jaywalking, find him that he's got outstanding warrants, but they don't arrest him for some reason. They just let him go. Then there's a second stop. Well, let me back up. So the first stop turns out to be not actually the first stop. They discover, they told the judge, they told the court that this was the first time they had seen him. Well, it comes out in discovery that that was a lie. They'd actually seen him uh, not too long prior in Bear County when these particular officers were providing backup to the Bear County Sheriff's Office. Then you have the second stop, which is actually the third stop, where he's walking and the officers frisk him, find his keys in his pockets pull them out and start pressing on the key fob, trying to figure out which vehicle is his. Then they end up noting uh, the license plate information on the car that is his. And then I'm going to read you some quotes from the opinion. So the court says, quote, for a significant portion of the body cam tape, the officers mute their recording devices. And in a footnote, they write, The court notes that this happens frequently in cases that are contested. When issues of privacy arise, it is understandable that the audio is muted, but otherwise it is a problematic practice that raises distrust and suspicion. About 14 minutes after Mr. Fennel was released, the officers turn on a particular street. They go around another vehicle that appears either illegally parked in the street or backing up, or just sticking out. And they stop a white vehicle instead for failing to stop at a stop sign. Now, you'll be shocked to find that Mr. Fennel happens to be in that vehicle. Uh, The court continues, The officers offered no explanation as to why they disregarded this vehicle that was likely in violation of traffic laws, went around the vehicle, and followed the white vehicle instead. The vehicle is driven by the defendant, but the officers deny that they knew this when they initiated the stop. Officer Medell requests that the driver roll down all the windows and asks for his driver's license. The defendant responds that, subquote, you just pulled me over. Officer Medell states, subquote, I know we did. The defendant is asked to step outside of the vehicle. is placed in handcuffs. Officer Medell then states in the video that he smells a strong odor of marijuana. The windows remained rolled down and the doors were open. Officer Villanueva begins a search of the vehicle for marijuana and ultimately locates a weapon on the front passenger side floor. At about the 5722 mark of the video, a drug dog is brought to the stop. The handler opines that the dog had an alert in the console area, but no other drugs or weapons were found inside the vehicle. There was no weed in the car. So the court goes on and basically finds that the officers tracked the defendant's car when they weren't supposed to and finds that their testimony wasn't credible about the weed coming from the car, that they basically had him roll down the windows so that they could claim there was probable cause to search, claimed they smelled weed, but hoped that it would be aired out enough so that by the time the drug dog got there and didn't find anything, they would then say, well, it's because the windows were down. So if the dog did find something great, he's arrested. If it doesn't find anything, they can prosecute for whatever else is found. Uh, So, basically, that particular charge, having the firearm, was thrown out by this particular judge. So, I'm going to give you the link to the opinion. You should read the whole thing. Uh, In Tarrant County, just one week before an inmate was supposed to be executed, uh, his case was reviewed by the Court of Appeals and remanded back to the district court. And the judge has now recommended that his sentence be reduced to life in prison because it was discovered that some of the testimony, uh, well, it's not really testimony, some of the closing arguments from the district attorney turned out to be a lie. Basically, they knew the guy had done this particular homicide, and as they were arguing over the death penalty, the DA said, of course, the family wants him to die. Uh, And it turned out that was not the case. The family was trying to argue that you know they wanted some... uh, what's the word here, not really healing per se, but basically because of their ethical and spiritual values, they didn't want them put to death. They wanted them locked up for life without parole. So now that's being done. It's just it's crazy to me. This guy was a week away from being killed, and you're just now finding years later that the DA's office lied as part of their closing arguments. It's crazy. So that's out of Texas. In Virginia, we got two stories out of Charlottesville. we give you links to both. They both relate to the Unite the Right rally. Uh, Maryland Klansman Richard Preston Jr., he was the guy that was on the viral video shooting his gun at the black guys. The police were just standing there doing nothing. You can go back to episode 24 where we talked about that. He's been convicted and is facing potentially 10 years in prison. His uh, sentencing it will be in August. And then Arkansas white supremacist Jacob Scott Goodwin, he was one of the guys that beat the shit out of DeAndre Harris at the Unite the Right rally in that parking deck, we talked about that case, he has been convicted as well, also looking at 10 years in jail. Out of Fairfax County, Virginia, uh, we have a Customs and Border Patrol agent arrested for puppy side. From that story, it says, quote, a Customs and Border Protection officer has been arrested after police say he shot his dog in the head at a Fairfax County, Virginia park and left its body there. Mark Cochran is charged with felony cruelty to animals, unlawful discharge of a weapon and littering. Fairfax County police say the shooting occurred on July 15th of 2017 at the Archery Club range at Fountainhead Regional Park in Fairfax station. A witness called animal control after they discovered a German Shepherd Mix dog dead suffering from a massive head wound. The witness reported hearing a pop and found the dead dog about 30 minutes later. Fairfax County Animal Services began an exhaustive investigation that led to Cochran's arrest this week. Captain Paul Norton, the animal services commander, told News 4 the case was, quote, troubling. Understatement of the fucking year. You know, there's a special circle of hell reserved for people who commit puppy side. Uh, So that's out of Virginia. In Washington, out of Tacoma, we have policing white space in not a shopping mall, not a strip mall, but now just a single store. Uh, in a Fuego, which I didn't even know was a thing. Apparently it's a thing. Uh, Basically, a white store manager followed two young black women, and when they went into the changing room to try on clothes, the manager just stood outside the changing room door and started reading aloud the policies on theft and prosecution. And of course, this is all on video and loaded to social media. Uh, And then when the women came out, like, what the fuck are you doing? We're trying to buy clothes. The manager told them to leave, Uh, And then the video at one point, uh, one of the ladies says the manager is claiming they're being aggressive. And the manager goes, no, I said uncooperative. Uncooperative is the word I used. It's an educated word that succinctly describes what's happening here. I've asked you to leave and you have not left. Uh, So the police show up, realize these women were buying clothes, not stealing anything, and go on about their way. Uh, Fuego has issued a statement saying, quote, the manager has been fired and we will put new training policies in place. Uh, In Wisconsin, I didn't know if to put this as Wisconsin or Minnesota – but we're going to put it in Wisconsin because that's where the guy's being jailed. Uh, there is a kitty diddler on the Hennepin County, Minnesota Sheriff's Department staff, and he has been arrested. From the story, it says, quote, a sheriff's deputy from Minnesota is jailed in northwestern Wisconsin on felony child sex crimes. Jeffrey Masick, 60, is charged in Barron County with child enticement, sexual contact, attempted second degree sexual assault of a child and using a computer to facilitate a child sex crime. Masick of Cottage Grove is a Hennepin County Sheriff's Deputy, the Sheriff's Department says masIC has been placed on paid administrative leave, that's paid vacation, pending an internal investigation. Court documents do not list a defense attorney who could speak on masic's behalf. Good luck with that one. Uh, so that's the state-by-state state criminal justice fuckery. Every now and again, we cover stories in other countries. Uh, we got one from Australia, and I'm going to call it the first rule of Fisk, international edition. Police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. Uh, a cop in Western Australia. Australia is on mobile phone video, basically deliberately trying to run over a teenager like goes out of his way to run the kid over Uh, from the story. It says quote new footage of an incident in which West Australian police hit an indigenous man with an unmarked police car has emerged appearing to show the police car crossing the road and cutting the man off before knocking him to the ground video that initially emerged earlier this week showed an unmarked police car hitting the teenager. The new video below shows the incident up close and from the other side of the police car, giving a clearer picture of how the impact occurred. In a statement earlier this week, police claimed the incident occurred when the teenager, subquote, collided with the police car. You will be shocked. Shocked to know that that is a lie. Uh, The story continues, quote, the new video appears to show a different story. Surprise! Uh, as the car clearly drives across the road following the teenager before driving into his path, knocking him with such force that he ends up on the sidewalk. Apparently they call it a footpath in Australia. The story continues, quote, The teenager can clearly be seen convulsing after being knocked from the center of the road onto the footpath by the car. Jerry Jorgados of the National Indigenous Critical Response Service described the footage as damning quote, the first tranche of footage was alarming. However, this footage from nearby the injured, in my view, removes any doubt of human error. What the footage evidences is damning, and the officers in question should be stood down, he told NITV News. The individual was purposely knocked over by the police vehicle. The video's nuts. Like, we're going to give you a link. You can watch the video. It's The kid's alive. I mean, he ended up having seizures and broken bones and everything else. But it's it's crazy. Like, the officer went out of his way to run the kid over. Uh, so that's in Australia. And then in the United Kingdom, is it is it Lewisham? Lewisham? Lewisham. It's, it's got to be. I mean, I, I'm assuming the SH is together. I don't know. I'm not British. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, so what I'm assuming is Lewisham, United Kingdom. Uh, nine police officers are being investigated after they basically restrained a mentally ill college kid until he died. Uh, From that story in the Guardian, it says, quote, nine metropolitan police officers are under investigation in connection with the death of a man with mental health problems after he was restrained by police. Kevin Clark, 35, was pronounced dead at Lewisham Hospital in South London on 9 March after being restrained in the grounds of St. Dunstan's College. A post-mortem was carried out on the 20th, but the cause of Clark's death remains under investigation, the Independent Office for Police Conduct said. Jonathan Green, the IOPC's regional director, Said subquote, we have established that the decisions made and actions taken to restrain Mr. Clark may be in breach of police professional standards and may amount to gross misconduct. This position will be kept under review as the investigation develops, and it is important to stress that this does not necessarily mean that misconduct proceedings will follow. Officers have told the IOPC that Clark appeared to be having a mental health crisis, They said they called the London Ambulance Service and restrained him. Now, here's the thing. If you're calling the ambulance, that means you know something was wrong. You know this guy is mentally ill. So this level of restraint to the point that he dies doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to me. But I'm also not a cop for very good reason. Uh, So I don't know if I've missed pages, but we're only at an hour in. That is shocking to me. Usually this exact same outline length takes an hour and a half at least. Uh, so good. I mean, it's awesome. We're only in an hour. That is it for this week's criminal justice fuckery. Apparently, I could have put in even more stories. So we'll have more whenever we next have a regular uh, podcast. Remember, next Monday is What the Fisk, Volume 6. So if you have questions, please make sure to tweet us using the hashtag Fisk. as hashtag FSCK. If you like what you have heard. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you happen to get your podcasts. And please also leave us a written review. At some point, we'll read more of those on the air as well. So on behalf of myself and Mike the Sound Guy, thank all of you for listening. I hope you have a blessed week, and I will talk to you next Monday.